I'm Liz, your host and the wife and mom behind Unedited Motherhood. Together, we'll talk about all the struggles that we face as adults. Nothing is off limits. We'll uncover important truths and maybe even learn some tips to make our lives a little simpler and a lot more enjoyable. Thanks for joining me. Have you been having a difficult time getting your hands on some high quality animal protein? Before using ButcherBox, I was having to visit multiple grocery stores to find the quality of chicken, beef, pork, and fish that I like to buy. Now I can select what cuts of meat I want and design my own box each month with ButcherBox. In addition, I can select special member deals and add-ons each month to fit my meal plan and fill my freezer. I pick what day I want it to be billed, customizing each date based on my current quantity, knowing it'll come in just two days. Try ButcherBox today. Use the link in my show notes or on the blog for $30 off your first order. Welcome back to Unedited Motherhood. This week, we have a very exciting topic and series that we're starting Um, For those of you that listened to the first gardening episode a few weeks ago, we are starting a whole gardening series from beginning to end on how to start your own garden using the no-dig, no-till method. Um, This is something we briefly touched on in the last conversation that we had, but that we're going to dive into deeper today. So Heidi is back in the studio today. Welcome back, Heidi. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, and we are really excited to bring this to you. So first, we're going to let Heidi um, just give you a an overview of what the no-dig method is for those of you that haven't heard of this before or aren't familiar with what it is. So take it away. So there are a few different ways of doing no-dig. Um, three different people that I like to follow that have the, sort of their own methods, and then you can sort of create your own based on learning what other people do. Charles Dowding does no dig on the ground with no sides to his raised beds. He just lays cardboard and then about six inches of compost. And then yearly after that, about an inch or so of compost as a top dressing. No tilling required also gives you so many more fewer weeds than tilling the ground is unbelievable and that's one of the main reasons why I like to do it aside from also being able to mix perennials and annuals in the same garden and not having to worry about destroying your perennials every year Mm -hmm. Um, Hugh Richards does a really similar sort of thing but he uses sides to his beds He likes them raised up off the ground a little bit. They're nice to sit on that way. You can sit down and work on your garden Mm -hmm. and not be directly on the ground. It's nice to have that little bit of elevation. So that's a nice option. And then Morag Gamble is a lovely Australian lady who actually helps to run an eco-village. And I've seen her do her method in both beds with and without sides but with her method rather than putting the cardboard on the very bottom and then compost on top she puts the cardboard on the top and then just barely covers it with enough mulch to where you can't see the cardboard 
And that way, if you have weed seeds in your compost, say it didn't get hot enough to kill all those weed seeds off, then you can still have this lovely method of feeding the soil and not having weeds and grow lots of lovely things. So you do cardboard. So this method, you start with the bare ground and instead of putting your plants into the bare ground, you put a layer of cardboard over the area you want to plant, and then you top that with the compost. So with her method, you do compost on the ground first, and then what do you, what do you plant into, though? You're planting into the compost in all of the, the methods. But then you're putting cardboard over the plants? No, so what Morag does is she'll cut just a little tiny hole in the cardboard and plant into the hole. Okay, so she cuts out holes. Yep, or just poke with something as small as a pencil, depending on the size of the plant. Obviously, and then if they'll just grow up tree. through the hole. Right. So this is from seed, obviously, that you would be starting that unless you did Seed a... or small starts, yeah, Okay. E- either way. And then you would just mulch on top of the cardboard around where the plant came out. Just enough to give it weight to where it doesn't fly away. And so you don't see the cardboard. Interesting. Cardboard's not the prettiest thing. So we want to cover it up. Right. Very interesting. Personally, I really like the Charles Dowding and Hugh Richards thing better. Well, so Charles Dowding does it like cardboard first on the ground and then compost. Hugh Richards, I've actually never, now I haven't been watching his YouTube channel for all that long, but I haven't seen him use cardboard very much. Mm. Um, He does more just like adding layers of compost every year. That's mostly because his beds have already been established for several years, and so he doesn't need have a ton of weeds. Yeah, Yeah. he he doesn't really need the cardboard because... I mean, I think the kid's like 23 or something like that, and he's been gardening his whole life. And, right. and the beds he's gardening in have, as far as I know, he's been gardening his whole life. Yeah. And they're yeah. absolutely gorgeous. So the cardboard is more necessary when you have a lot of weeds or even grass underneath. So you can plant a garden over grass using this method. You can. So, yeah, um, basically what happens when you lay that cardboard down you're suffocating all of the grass. It, it will just die of starvation because it's not photosynthesizing. Mm-hmm. It's not creating food for itself. So it, it, it'll just die. Um, and then the compost is like an additional weed barrier because when the cardboard decomposes, then those grass and weed seeds will be able to come up, but then the compost will help compress them and keep them down. So, yeah, so if your compost is thick enough on top, even if something does make it up through the cardboard... By the time it expends all the energy of trying to push to the top of the compost, it's it's spent all of its energy. Right, and it's, it's, it's still a not weak yeah. weed. Yeah, it's still not photosynthesizing. Um, I I've had a few like I had a dandelion come up in the bed that I installed last fall, like one dandelion. Wow. Um, it was I saw it last fall and pulled it and it, it did come back this spring but seriously like one dandelion in the whole bed and yeah. the spring when I pulled it it was definitely weaker than it was last fall when I tried to pull it mm-hmm. and that's because dandelions in particular and other weeds as well 
although dandelions are medicinal and lovely <laughs> in the proper context, uh, they st- only store so much energy in their roots. And, and that's enough to get them through the winter, but it's not enough to repeatedly grow new leaves. If you just keep pulling off the leaves, you really don't even have to pull out the root. I mean, if you pull out the root, then it definitely won't grow out. The more of the root you get. And that's what I've heard Charles Dowding say is the more of the root you get, the less strong it'll be when it comes back. But it's not the end of the world if you're not able to get the whole root at one time. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. So one of the questions that I had, I'm I'm new to this, guys, but I've been binging these YouTube videos because they are so addicting. (laughs) So when Heidi and I had our first conversation, I knew nothing. And now I have like all of these thoughts raging through my head. So one of my first questions, though, was if you're putting cardboard down and you're only putting a few inches of compost on top, you know, how are the roots going to get down into the ground? And I've heard doubting say, especially if you get your compost or your cardboard wet before you put compost on it, it'll degrade enough for the roots to be able to reach through in like six to eight weeks by the time the plant is large enough to for its roots to get that deep yeah there there's that and there's also the aspect of by feeding it with compost all the microorganisms in the soil are just gonna really come alive and multiply and they're moving up and down through the soil and the compost is going to aerate the soil and loosen it for you so then you don't have to do the work of tilling because they've already done it right it's really cool it's really cool so we'll get to comparing I know you guys are going to have questions about well why aren't we tilling um isn't that good for the ground and all of that when we talk a little bit about conventional gardening um in a little bit so what are the other benefits of the no dig method I know we talked about it suppressing weeds Mm -hmm. um and you talked a little bit about all of the extra microorganisms and um, healthy components of the compost as com- as opposed to topsoil or ground soil, but what else is there? So, I mean, no, fewer weeds is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I pulling yeah. weeds is not my favorite thing no. to do. Um, and even if you do enjoy it, you can't keep up with it in a tilled mm-hmm. garden, or I couldn't anyway. No, I couldn't either I, last year. Yeah, been there, done that, was not fun. Um, so you have like at least 90% fewer weeds. That's massive. But then also by not breaking the soil in the action of tilling it, you are leaving intact all of the earthworms, all of the bacteria, all of the mycorrhiza from the fungi in the soil. If you're feeding soil fungus, those things will literally go out for miles under the soil and mine nutrients for your plants. Wow. Um, phosphorus is one of the big ones on that, as far as I know. I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> but I do know that they, they literally mine nutrients for your plants. Um, so there's this whole, like, Jessica Sowards likes to call it the, the neighborhood under your soil, and you want to feed it. And if you're going in there with a tiller and breaking it up, you're resetting it. You're totally resetting it. And and setting it back and there's the whole thing of the earth does not like to be naked is the saying that we all have in this sort of nodig community that if you till up a spot to where it's just bare soil because the earth does not like to be naked she's going to cover herself 
in weeds. Right. And I, I actually just saw that in a video the other day. I can't remember who it was. Um, it might have been Hugh Richards. He's talking about how weeds, he was explaining what a weed was. And he was basically like, weeds are the earth way of protecting the soil by, um, you know, by covering it and you know, containing everything in the soil that needs to stay there and everything. And I just thought that that was so wild that the soil actually produces weeds to protect itself. Yeah. So weed seeds only germinate when there's opportunity for them to do so. And by covering the soil with cardboard and compost, we're taking away their opportunity to germinate and thrive. And there's the reason why topsoil is like the U.S.'s number one export on accident, because industrial agriculture goes in and tills up the soil and then it's just like nature and science if there's naked soil with nothing to hold it in place then as soon as it rains or the wind blows or almost anything happens the soil is just gonna go away like it it washes away in floods it's you know it gets blown away by the wind and so weeds come in as opportunistic little things or sometimes big things and we'll take over and hold that soil in place so we're having fewer weeds with no dig um, we're having stronger healthier plants because there are more nutrients being held in the soil since it's not being washed away and since you have the fungi mining nutrients for your plants and bringing them to that area and then there's also the issue of so much less pest pressure you don't have to spray pesticides because pest insects only attack weak plants if you have strong plants because they're growing in strong healthy soil with this thriving neighborhood of different microorganisms of all different kinds nematodes and all that fun stuff then, you know, when a bug bites into that, they're just going to be like, Bleh. you know, <laughs> they they don't want it. It's not what they're after. Yeah. I've heard recently that um, aphids are actually a symptom of excess ni- nitrogen. They have all those little tiny bugs all over your plants. Those mm-hmm. are okay. usually those are aphids. Aphids are a really common pest insect ladybugs like to eat them and so we are supposed to have some that's part of a balanced ecosystem but if you have an overabundance of aphids it's typically an indication that your plants are getting too much nitrogen okay and so then you can add some other things i think phosphorus and calcium are some of the things that you can add to help balance that out Mm -hmm. um There's the potential of using things like wood chips to absorb some of that nitrogen. Um, There's all kinds of stuff that you can do to get the soil into a nice balance. And the nitrogen comes from your compost being too hot, right? So nitrogen, um, there is a lot of nitrogen in hot compost. Nitrogen comes, nitrogen is a volatile element. It it will evaporate into the air, which is why if you're having a lawn company put nitrogen fertilizer on your lawn you're wasting your money because it it will just evaporate into the air it's not going to do much for your lawn before it just goes away um and it's they charge an outrageous amount of money to do that too Mm. um so that's a lovely side note but (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so where else will the nitrogen come from? Nit- nitrogen comes from... In your garden, you know. So if you're, yeah, if you're putting compost that's still hot, that's going to contain a lot of nitrogen. Um, as compost goes through the cooling process, once it's been heated, it releases a lot of nitrogen. So then it's not still in there. Um, things like coffee grounds have a lot of nitrogen. Um, stuff like Marigold Grow, bleh, can't talk. Miracle Grow is loaded with nitrogen, which is why if you accidentally put too much fertilizer on your plants, they'll burn up and die. That's because of the nitrogen in that fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so I think we've given people a pretty good idea of what the no-dig method is as we keep working through all of these different segments and topics. You guys will get a clearer and clearer picture of how it all works. But we're going to move along to giving a little bit more information about compost, um, what it is and why it's so important as opposed to topsoil for starting a no-dig garden. Compost is really just anything that composts itself. Yeah, uh, compost is anything decomposable. For the home gardener, you don't want to compost meat products or anything from animals. So topsoil, usually, if if you're buying topsoil that's being scraped away from somewhere else, just certainly not ideal for the area it's coming from. Um, It's usually being shipped a fair distance, which is not great for our air. Uh, And more importantly to you, it doesn't have the nutrients that you need for feeding your soil. Um, So it's not going to create really strong plants. So in true Liz and Heidi fashion, we got off topic right around here. And I don't know what happened, but I'm just going to pick you back up where we left off. (laughs) All right. So you left off basically saying why topsoil sucks and oh. <laughs> people should buy compost, right? I did, didn't I? Okay. Uh, yeah, topsoil does suck. <laughs> so, I mean, not if you feed it properly, but like topsoil from places that aren't being actively taken care of suck. Right. So we've established compost, good, topsoil, not as good. Right. Where can people find compost? Obviously, I know you can buy it like at Home Depot. They have like a, you know, a bag like you you would buy topsoil. You can get that way. Yeah, you can get bags of organic compost at any garden center. And if you're doing a small garden bed or a small raised bed, then buying it in bags is probably sufficient for Um, that. It might be. It's worth looking at products that are local to you um whether that's a local business providing it or a big box store doesn't matter but it's worth look i mean maybe it does to you and that's fine um but it's worth doing price comparisons Mm -hmm. because it is going to be entirely different in every single area according to what kind of products are available whether they're in bags or in bulk Okay. So then the other way to get it would be like, like you buy mulch from a landscaping company. They, some places will have compost by like the cubic yard. Yeah. A lot. Most landscaping companies have 
compost in the same way that you would buy bulk mulch and have it delivered to your house. Mm-hmm. Um, we've recently come mm-hmm. across um, municipal type compost facilities where you can actually get the compost for free or for a very small price compared to what else is out there. Um, oftentimes it may or may not be as broken down as you'd like for it to be. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's ultimately usually okay. It's pretty rare that that stuff's not usable. Um, and one tip that I heard if you're going to be using the municipal compost is to get it a few months before you're going to need it so that it can finish breaking down before you're actually going to plant into it. Yeah. We're kind of past that point for this year, guys. Sorry about that. Well, it's it's true. Um, that is the ideal way to do it for sure. Um, a lot of times you actually can use unfinished compost on your garden beds. Um, as long as you break up the big pieces, if there are any. Yes, it is called chop and drop. Uh, that's a practice that a lot of gardeners do, permaculture and otherwise. Um, chop and drop is a really great way of getting all the nutrients that you need in your soil. You can. Um, Hugh Richards has a gorgeous video on how to do this. Um, that we'll share. In yeah, the and it's heavily utilized in a practice called forest gardening as well. Where basically you go through and you prune all of your plants and you pull out all the plants that you don't want and you chop them up into small bits and then lay them about on the soil. And it's essentially like deciduous trees in a forest when they drop their leaves in the winter. So we're mimicking nature in order to feed the soil to get the most nutrient value so that we can have more nutrient-dense and more importantly, more delicious food. Yeah. Cool. So compost as you're gardening, basically. Um, so municipal, I, I did want to let people know, I, f- I came across this municipal composting thing um, by accident. Um, but I will put um, a note about it in the show notes if you're wanting to find out how to find out whether or not your area does this. Um, we're in Indiana. So, um, the Indianapolis, uh, like comp or leaf, I can't even remember what the name of the facility is. I'll put it down below, but they have, um, just, they collect leaves in the fall and then they put them in a big pile and they let them compost. And then residents can come pick them up for free in the spring when the leaves have all composted. Um, so, such this, a happy accident. Right? Because most lawn care places charge, I think, the cheapest. I looked at like 12 places in Indianapolis. So maybe if you guys are wanting to buy compost, I'll put where we got, where we found the best deals if you're not wanting to go load your own um, for free. Um, but it ranges between 28 and like $59 per cubic yard. Um And then a way to calculate how much you need for your garden is to measure the square footage of your space. And then there are a bunch of mulch calculators online. You just use the same calculator um, and put in your square footage and how many inches high you want your compost to be. So if you're composting on top of cardboard, you'll need a little bit more compost than if you were just putting it straight on the ground. 
Yes, and there's also a little bit of difference, and this is where I've recently come to appreciate the value of tillers, even though I don't believe in tilling repeatedly. If you have tilled once, then in, within the last year or so, then it it does soften up the ground temporarily. The problem with tilling is that long term it hardens the ground due to compaction, which may seem a bit counterintuitive. But when you're turning over the earth, you are basically you're loosening up the very top part but all of that repeated vibration and pressure on the lower levels of the soil compacts them. Mm -hmm. I cool. just went total nerd card on you. <laughs> that's okay. I think that's helpful for people to understand, you know, why you wouldn't want to till. And the other reason that not tilling is important and with this method is that tilling breaks up um, the ground, basically telling the ground we need to produce weeds to protect ourselves. And so it like starts all these new weeds, right? Yeah. Something like that. Well, so yeah, there, there's that plus the fact of if you're ever dealing with something like a uh, Canadian thistle, <laughs> bless its plant heart. Uh, if you're tilling that up, you're chopping up the rhizomes, which with that specific plant is how it spreads. And so if you're chopping up the rhizomes, you're basically just you're like planting seeds all throughout your soil. Yeah, you, you are <laughs> spreading um, the, the Canadian thistle. And um, is that something that's prevalent in the U.S.? Yeah, so it's super prevalent in um, cornfields because a lot of, and I'm not saying all, there are those that um, know better ultimately, not to be judgmental, but that's, th there are people who have evolved their practices, but there a majority of corn farmers that I, that I know of will um, basically grow a Roundup resistant corn. So if there's this corn that's genetically altered in order to be resistant to glyphosate, which is a super common herbicide. Um, but then we have what they call super weeds as well, which are um, weeds that have naturally, if, well, not naturally really, but, but as naturally as they, they've done it themselves, they've evolved to be resistant to the same things so they can grow in the same field and that's why you get corn fields that are riddled with Canadian thistle and um, amaranth and um, oh what are the other uh, morning glories mm, wow <laughs> and yeah that was a side trail <laughs> for sure cool um, so if you decide if your ground has already been tilled or you have a pretty, like a garden bed that you've used in the past where you don't just have a huge patch of grass and you decide that you don't think you need cardboard on your ground, you could get away with just like two inches of compost on top of that soil, right? If you're starting a new bed on top of grass and not tilling it? No, no, no. If you don't have grass and if you just have like a, an empty garden bed where you've gardened before. Uh, okay. Yeah, I see. Um, 
Yeah, in that case. And you're not cardboarding. Adding the cardboard and and the six inches of compost is always going to be ideal. Mm -hmm. But you could most likely get away just fine by doing a layer of cardboard and a couple inches of compost as mulch on top because the ground underneath is already soft. Right. Okay. And then you just never have to till it again. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fine to till in your first year, but then you really never have to till it again after that. As long as you follow the method of making sure you're adding enough compost on top, not not mixing it in at all, and leaving your plant roots in the ground as a part of the same practice. When you go to remove a plant that's spent for the year because it's an annual and it's done with its life, you, you go to remove that from your garden. You don't pull it out of the soil and disturb the soil. What you do is you chop it off directly at ground level so that the microorganisms who have been feeding on the compost and growing and procreating and making a lovely, healthy soil for you can then just feed on those roots and release all of the nutrients that were in them back into the soil for other plants to use. That's so cool. It's like plants composting in in the ground. Yeah, exactly. And then what you do chop off, if you're going to compost at home, what you chop off of your dead plants, you can add to your compost heap. Absolutely. Yeah, that is the thing to do. And we, for those of you that are interested more in compost like I am, I'm endlessly fascinated with it. Um, we're going to do in our final of the series of our final episode of the series, we're going to do a whole segment on composting, composting at home. Um, and we will get way more into depth on that. So we understand what the no dig gardening method is before we get to actually creating your bed and planting and all of that good stuff. Um, before you do any of the planning or buying any of these materials, Tell me what you think the most important step is, because I really like this. And when you first talked to me about it, it made a big impression. Uh oh, <laughs> I've given myself a reputation to live up to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Okay, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's the same thing with absolutely anything that you try to accomplish in life. I think it's really, really important to understand thoroughly about yourself. Why are you doing it in the first place? Because if you don't have a solid reason why you're doing something in the first place, then when it gets hard, you're SOL. Right. You, if you have a really solid reason for knowing why you're doing something, then you're always going to stick to it and get it done, mm-hmm. no matter what it takes. And I don't say that to scare anyone off from gardening. It is... That's the opposite of what I want to do in life. Um, the gardening is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And I think that it is for a lot... Of, well, I know that it is for a lot of other people, too. I mean, for so many different reasons. And everybody has their own individual reasons why. There is no universal reason for gardening besides the basic, like, well, delicious food and everybody having plenty and, you know, yeah. abundance is real. Right. <laughs> we live in this sort of panic, like, oh, we're going to run out of this or we're going to run out of that. And no, man, when you watch plants grow and see how many seeds they produce, their scarcity is a lie. 
Yeah. It really is. So when Heidi and I got together a couple months ago, um, I was asking her if she would kind of help me plan my garden. And the first thing she asked me is why I wanted to plant a garden and what were my goals for the garden. And I mean, obviously I wanted produce, you know, I wanted to grow my own vegetables, but it got me thinking of the other reasons you know, the other benefits of a garden. And she's basically like, this will encourage you and keep you motivated um, throughout the whole season if you, you know, start to lose touch with it. Um, And then another piece that she spoke about was ownership and really owning um, the experience. So talk a little bit about that. About ownership? Yeah. Ownership... (laughs) Ownership is just a really important feeling to have. I mean, you know, there's physical, spiritual, and emotional aspects to everything in life. It's just part of living as a whole person in a holistic lifestyle, whatever that means for you. And ownership, I believe, is a really important feeling because when when you take ownership it means that you take responsibility and and that you it's your project to work on that doesn't mean that you couldn't or shouldn't share it with other people you absolutely can and should um but taking responsibility it's it's like raising a child for a season you know it's it's obviously different in a lot of ways you know it's not a little human (laughs) but it's food that you can use to nourish yourself and your little humans if you have kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you yeah. have to water it. You have to make sure it's getting enough sun. You have to yeah. prune it, harvest it, you gotta take give it care attention. Of it. Yeah. Soil is, and I mean, really, like, it goes back sort of to the myth of like fertilization. You know, are you feeding the plant a candy bar or are you feeding the soil a good whole meal that it can then turn into nutrients for your plant so that you don't need to put fertilizer on it because that stuff is toxic Mm -hmm. so i mean like and everybody that might not be your why you might want to grow a garden just because it's really pretty and looking at it makes you feel nice and you know what that is a perfect valid reason just like every other individual's reason is perfectly valid because everybody's different and some people do it just to get outside yeah and that's a great reason too that's one of my reasons yeah i love to be outside yeah just feels good to get the fresh air yeah and it gives you an excuse to do it if you don't have a reason you may not think to just go outside but if you have a garden it's like always calling your name yeah you know if there's a whole like 95 hours of really great movies or tv shows coming up and you don't have anything to go outside for you're gonna be sitting on your butt watching 95 hours (laughs) of movies and tv shows i mean i've been there i've done that i'm not you know casting anything on anyone else that's that's in my past (laughs) because I love the garden now and I like to get outside and yeah gotta know why yeah everybody's whys are different and everybody has more than one usually yeah I got a list of six or seven or eight or a gajillion reasons why why I love the garden 
So say you could probably come up with a hundred in less than five minutes flat. We won't try. They wouldn't know. They wouldn't come out in words. There would be some (laughs) weird noise involved. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I don't have words for how much I love gardening. Yeah. Well, I mean, your your face is just lit up whenever you're talking about it. You don't you don't need to have words. It's so apparent Aww. that it's just like a part of you. Yeah. Um. It's so my whole life. Huh. It's gardening's my whole life. Yeah. It's always been there in some way or other. Yeah. So. Tell us about your gardening journey, Heidi. Which part? Because that's a really the whole thing. Just start at the beginning. It's a long story. Keep it, you know, short. Keep it short. Keep it short and sweet. But tell <laughs> so, us everything. Tell, tell me your life story. I, I mean, <laughs> just talk about like what you remember from you know gardening when you were a kid and how, like, when did when did gardening first speak to you and how has it evolved and changed over the years? Strawberries. <laughs> I absolutely loved playing in the strawberry bed and picking and eating fresh strawberries when I was like two or three. Oh wow, that's young. Yeah. They're just I think I I think so. I mean I was very, very young. I don't actually right. know how old I was, but yeah, some of my earliest garden memories are picking strawberries from the strawberry bed. So did was there always a vegetable garden or flower garden growing up (laughs) oh yeah my dad made sure of that that's awesome so when did you first take a a serious interest in engaging with a garden or learning more about it so I'm I moved out of my parents care pretty young 16 I was living in and I hadn't had my own garden since I was I don't know 10 so I had that little period away from it, you know, and then uh, at 16, I, I was like, I'm going to plant my own garden. <laughs> and I was living on someone else's property, uh, doing a work trade, house sharing, you know, all the stuff young people do. Um, anyway, I that the landowner was like, yeah, you guys can do a garden up there. So the spot got tilled and I had like close to zero money at the time because I did not know how to budget. I did not know how to make sure that... At 16, you didn't have that figured out? No. Are you kidding? But I learned some really... I had a lot of tough love lessons in that time period. Yeah, I bet. Uh, One of them was my first garden that was actually like my garden. I didn't... So, I yeah, I didn't have money, so I didn't... um, (laughs) I I think somebody gave me some turnip seeds uh, or I bought them and then realized that I needed to spend the rest of my money on bills or something like that. I don't know. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. But uh, basically what it came down to was my, my the first garden I have ever had was all turnips. <laughs> and I planted them thinking that I was really going to just love them and that would be a great food that wouldn't cost me money, you know, right? and and would taste good. And I found out that year that I really don't like turnips that much. Oh, no. <laughs> well, hopefully you were able to bless a lot of other people with Oh, them. yeah, I gave them all away because 
I mean, after trying to cook them every which way you can possibly imagine. Right. I tried the greens. I tried, I tried this. I tried that. I, um, now I've come full circle sort of to the point where I actually do want to try growing turnips again because I know now that, um, things about the garden that I didn't know then that the whole family that turnips are in those are frost hardy vegetables which means that if they get kissed by a little frost it's going to make the natural sugars come out and they'll taste sweeter Mm. um you know brussels sprouts are all that way too and I I learned about that academically just like reading and studying and, and watching other people's work and stuff and then it's a funny thing. The first time I and I've I've tried like Brussels sprouts. I've tried at least a dozen times in the in the last few years. Mm-hmm. First time I ever t- tasted Brussels sprouts again and liked them was when you made them, and Aww. yeah, they were delicious. And I'd had them cooked a very similar way before, so it yeah. wasn't just the way you cooked them. Even though you did do a good job. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> But I taste the plant compounds. And you become, like, your sense of taste becomes, for lack of better terminology, more discerning when you eat really good, fresh food that is just full of these life-giving compounds. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I could taste in those Brussels sprouts that they had been really cold at one point yeah they were hot when i ate them and they were delicious but they had been really cold at one point and i could taste that because of the amount of sugar that was coming from the heart of this the sprout cool yeah smarty pants (laughs) i read too much um so turnips that's where your first garden started Mm mm-hmm we went a little sideways. That's okay. Good information to go sideways on. Um, so from there, how did um, your gardening experience kind of transform into this, now this no-dig method? Yeah. Um, I Well, so I have accidentally had no-dig in, like, the back of my garden knowledge for years and didn't even know it until recently. <laughs> Because I've been watching the work of a lot of permaculturists for at least a good 10 or 12 years now. Oh, wow. Um, that's another story. But they all do not take. I had that in the back. And then I was living on someone else's farm and the landowner wanted to disc it which is essentially like big machine uh, version of tilling that goes way deeper right yeah it's it's different it it like it cuts in deeper and it turns the soil over uh, which is really actually an atrocious thing to do to the soil if you're talking about wanting to keep it alive and um grow microorganisms that add nutrition to the soil and therefore to your food. Um, So anyway, yeah, I had been living on this (laughs) farm where the landowner wanted to disc. 
and um, basically because he was just one of those hardcore, like, you can't ever plant anything until after Mother's Day kind of people. Um, and I mean, that's not entirely wrong. You can't plant, if you're, if you're planting from seed outside, you don't want to plant, like, tomatoes or cucumbers or zucchini or anything frost tender um, out before it gets warm enough. But um, basically, long story short, I got impatient. <laughs> I did not want to wait for him to disc the field before I was allowed to plant my garden. And I also did not want to take down my trellising in order for him to disc it again the next spring. And I wanted to have perennial plants and I wanted season extension. I, so, I mean, I didn't want to wait until May and I didn't want to have to be done by October. Like, I, I wanted more of a year-round garden. And ultimately, I just started, like, hardcore researching. Because, you know, in the winter, you have a lot of downtime as mm -hmm. a gardener. Right. Um, so I just started researching, like, diving in and found out like hey I can grow three out of four seasons and I can have beautiful flowers and perennial vegetables in with my annuals and oh, wait what that means I have fewer weeds too come on <laughs> that's like waving the carrot in front of the donkey you know right. like, like <laughs> passing out candy to kids like I, what I can I can have my cake and eat it too is basically what no right. dick comes down to for me um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And how many years ago was that, that you kind of found that and had that epiphany? I had, so it, it went from like, um, mild to moderate knowledge of no dig to just like, wow, really diving in. Um, and, and that diving in aspect took place. It, it's actually been a much slower transition than that because I started researching and implementing some of the aspects of it, but I still, even after I was aware of it and working on moving toward it, I still was not allowed to fully practice it because the landowner was still wanting to disc the area. Okay. And so that really sucked at the time because I was <laughs> like, but I want to do this now. Uh, but in retrospect... It was amazing because I got, I, I was basically forced into having the time to do all the research. Yeah. And so that was really cool. So that was, uh, I'm going to say really about, it started around six years ago. And, and then I had the one year when I couldn't have a garden because... I was living in someone else's house, and that just wasn't happening. Right. Um, and I'm, yeah, glad that's done. Yeah, so I had a year off. Um, and then last fall, I put in my first fully Charles Dowding-style raised bed on the ground with no sides. And... I have just been like, and, and I had done some other no dig practices prior to that, but that was my first full Charles Dowding style. Yeah. You know, just like totally imitating his work and 
loving every minute of it because it turned out great. I've literally had like one dandelion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, do, you always have to edge the grass around the bed. Um, but just because you don't want anything creeping in. Right. But yeah, like one dandelion from early last fall to last week. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm obsessed with Charles Dowding's videos. Um, if you guys are interested in this no-dig method and you're wanting to really learn a lot um, in a short amount of time and have an endless playlist of awesome videos, yeah, go There's, to his YouTube channel. Yep, Charles Dowding. No-dig explained in three minutes is the name of the, in my opinion, from so far, just so far what I know, that's the best video to get, like... This is started short, quick, concise, to the point. Yeah. Everything I'm not, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, yeah. So awesome. So I think everything that we've said so far has, um, explained no dig and how it compares to conventional gardening. Um, but ultimately a garden is a garden however you do it yeah it is there's no wrong way to garden there are there's practices that we gardening, might disagree with yeah i mean there are practices i disagree with but gardening like everything good in life there's good better and best you know it's not bad worse okay maybe good you know it's it's good better and best yeah if you're gardening awesome I can give you some pointers to make it easier for you and, and better for your soil. If usually there are always things to improve on. I know I have my things to improve on too. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of stuff that can make it easier. Awesome. So we're going to wrap it up there because any further and we're just like, itching to talk about actually creating your bed. Um, so we're going to start that, um, next week. So come back and join us. We're going to talk about creating your garden bed, um, planting and everything that goes along with that. So I hope you guys enjoyed and thanks Heidi for being here with us. Thanks. And have a great week guys. Happy gardening.